Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I'm your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. At the top of every month, I choose a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious and discuss the significance of it with a guest who will then recommend me three titles most relevant, which I will then watch and report back on. This month, I'm exploring the films of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, and seeing as it is the first time I'm uh, covering two directors at the same time, I figured, why not bring on two guests? So joining me to discuss are Jerry Smith and Mike Snoonian of the uh, the Pod and the Pendulum podcast. So guys, um, thank you so much for joining me. This is a this is a historic moment in, in the history of I Do Movies Badly, the first time having two people on at the same time. Well... Being that it's a historic week in our country, I mean, really, <laughs> when, people look back at, when people look back at 2020 and they talk about COVID and the protest for justice, they're also going to look back at the time that we both <laughs> guested. It'll be taught in, it'll be taught in history classes. Yeah, podcast history. No, but seriously, thank you so much for having us. We're excited. We really I, I love these it. filmmakers very much. So yeah, yeah definitely. So uh, certainly, yeah. I mean, if if we could be a footnote in the history books, I mean, that just an mm-hmm. asterisk that I'd be fine with that. Um, as a, as opposed <laughs> to something of like, and here's why he was arrested. Uh, right. But, um, before we talk about, I mean, you you mentioned that, so it's a good segue. Like before we even get into movie stuff, like how are both of you guys doing? We're in like the third month of a of a pandemic. Are you keeping healthy? Are you keeping sane? Or are either of you kind of close to any of the protests or anything that's going on? How how are you guys holding up? Uh, I ate two of my children this morning. So. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, go ahead, Mike. So it's it's been difficult, especially lately. Um, I work as a counselor in a predominantly uh, community that's predominantly persons of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, our school is about ninety percent. Uh, black, Latino, Haitian, and Creole students, okay. and you have a faculty that's 90% white. Mm. So it's I've gone to a couple rallies so far, including one at one of the schools near us, which was an extremely peaceful rally, um, about a thousand or so turned out. And then later that night, uh, a handful of persons made their way out and it got ugly Mm-hmm. Uh, there was unfortunately, so, and you just hate to see it. I know a couple of my students were tear gassed. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking with them later in the week. Um, and I'm really proud of the students I work with because we've had, they've had some incredibly brave discussions this week um, relating their experiences, not only right now, but what it's like to grow up in the community as a black or brown person and things that I am ignorant of. Mm -hmm. Um, So between that and really our wife, my wife and I hitting the breaking point in terms of like keeping completely socially distanced we're allowing our daughter to have some play dates again, Mm. because there's just been some emotional turmoil uh, for our 10 year old who like misses her friends desperately. It has been like, I, you know, right before this call, I messaged Jerry. I'm like, dude, can you reach out to our guests 
next week I just I don't have it in me to like even send a message right now. So mm-hmm. um, it's you know it's been a week. I think I watched three Verhoeven movies last oh, night <laughs> to, to pick up my spirits a little bit. So. Oh god! Yeah. Does it? You know, Paul Verhoeven stuff. Like, oh god, it's the best. It holds up. Yeah. Now, uh, during this whole thing, like, I fight depression pretty like, and, like it's an intense thing for me. I mean, that's it's pretty open. Anyone that follows me. So, I mean, being thrown in this pandemic thing, it was it was pretty nuts already. But then you have the current thing going on, and it's something I'm so passionately uh, for. Like, you know, I, I, I support what's going on 100%. You know, I've, I've lost so many family members over it. Like, I, I seriously don't have a single member of my family that I'm talking to right now because of it. Yeah. Because I come from a very religious and conservative family growing up, and I've never been that kind of person. I'm kind of the opposite in both. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's been nuts. It's, it's, been, it's been wild. Uh, you know, my, my kids have all these questions, and I'm kind of on the fence about how to answer them. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's been a trial, but I mean, and it's weird because you want to talk about movies and you want to talk about all these things that you always get so much enjoyment talking out of. But like, sometimes I feel kind of guilty going on like Twitter and talking about how much I love Halloween four. It's like, dude, people, people are getting injured, people getting hurt. And where I live, I live in Visalia, California, which is about two and a half hours outside of LA. Mm -hmm. And we had a peaceful protest (laughs) that started peaceful about a week or two ago that I was going to go to my wife and I, we were going to take our kids to it. Cause you know, it's peaceful, whatever. And then some like, <laughs> and then this dude basically mowed this girl down with a Jeep, like a mile away from my house. And it went everywhere. Like it was trending on Twitter. And it's like, this is kind of like a small kind of, you know, California town that nobody cares about. And like people are hitting each other with Jeeps over this. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. But... It's nuts. I mean, I, my wife and I live in, in Manhattan, but we are, you know, up in North Manhattan, like, far, the, I think the closest protest to us was maybe 50 blocks south, and those were, for the most part, largely peaceful. But you're right in that the sense of, I, I've I've found, too, in my personal life, that there's this idea of, or not even an idea, but a question of, do we proceed with these activities as normal, or do we pause and kind of, like, take a break and just... Uh, figure out how to deal with stuff. I mean, um, I'm I am a, a religious person. I'm a very liberal religious person. But part of uh-huh. the thing I'm doing in my personal life is I was doing a a weekly Zoom group or or Google Hangouts group that was talking about movies and faith. And this past week, that's awesome. We were supposed to be talking about the Last Temptation of Christ, but I'm like, hey, Ooh. maybe a film about like a a guy who was killed by the government for speaking out isn't really the best like the thing that we should be doing yeah. right now. So the meeting was just like, let's just talk about what we've been watching, what's been bringing us joy, what's mm-hmm. been kind of connecting us to just ourselves, basically. So we talked a lot about dumb action movies, 90 Day Fiance, which I have to admit I am a sucker for, um, <laughs> <laughs> and just the, the kind of stuff that we can like, let's uh, not forget about what's outside, but let's laugh and kind of be healthy and take care of ourselves so that we can be our best selves in combating this stuff, in protesting and supporting what's out there. Right. So see, that's that's it, perfect, and and uh, like I'm I'm really glad to hear that that you've been doing that because that's something I've struggled with so much. I mean, even this week, I had two. Uh, two articles that I was extremely proud of that I wrote before this whole thing happened. And they, they dropped on, you know, their respective homes, uh, Hawk Creek Core and Dread Central. Mm-hmm. And I felt so bad for even sharing them because mm-hmm. it's like, you're so proud of the work that you did. And, you know, as a writer, 
I mean, I tend to hate everything I do. Sure. So when when these two things came out, I was like, wow, Jerry, decent job, buddy. And then when it came to posting them, I was like, God, I feel like, you know, an a-hole for doing that. Mm-hmm. And Mike, so- Mike wrote this really wonderful article that, like, I wanted to, like, share, you know, and scre- like shout from the rooftops how much I enjoyed this. But I was like do I wait a day? I mean, like, what do we do? Yeah. You know? And that's what I did. I waited. It, it was on, it published on dread central on Tuesday and it was my first piece for them ever. And I'm like, I am going to wait a day uh, before I mentioned, I quietly mentioned it in a few places the next day. So it was still there to your point, Jim, um, you know, is it okay to talk? You know, part of it is, is in people have said like, look, the fact that, you know, Jerry, uh, Jim and myself get to take a break from everything and talk about movies does speak a little bit to our privilege sure. because we can take a break for, from it a little bit. Um, but also, like, I actually took part in a, a um, well, not took part. I watched, I viewed a uh, live seminar this week on, you know, how to work with clients that are experiencing racial trauma. Mm-hmm. And one of the points they made was like, even if you're in that fight, you know, as as a person of color, you have to make time for your self care. Like you cannot be twenty four seven wrapped up in the protest because you'll burn yourself out and you'll do yourself no good. So mm-hmm. it's really important, and I can't stress it enough in these times um, to make sure that everybody is making time for their self care, however you see fit, whether that's listening to music, journaling. Uh, meditation, yoga, or for guys like me, like watching the movies that we love. Um, mm-hmm. It's important to have that break and then, you know, get back into the get back into the fight again. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And also just kind of supporting, like, supporting that that the art and the artists that are out there who are speaking mm-hmm. to this kind of stuff. I, I, I should post this on the ID Movies Badly Facebook page, but Criterion Collection has taken down paywalls for yeah. specific films mm-hmm. from filmmakers of color dealing with that kind of stuff to kind of so take advantage of that kind of stuff and you know and I, I think mm-hmm. it's incredibly important at this time, um, but you know Black Lives Matter here on I Do Movies Badly Black Lives Matter on the Pod and the Pendulum Black Lives Matter this is an important thing so yeah just people be sure to take care of yourselves because this is a mm-hmm. a long fight I mean it's been going on for a long long time more, more longer than a lot of us you know. Uh, white people are really aware of for the most part. So, mm-hmm. um, that that and really quickly, I, I think what a lot of people don't get, and it, uh, definitely my family members don't get, is that this is not a political thing anymore. No. It doesn't matter what party you support. It doesn't matter what religious background you have. It doesn't matter what uh, educational or just it, background in general. This is a, this is a humanity thing. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is not political. I know for my part at least, it's not political at all. Like this is this should be a common sense thing, you know. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Well, um, and, uh, and I, you know, I, and we say this all the stuff. I, I mean, also kind of thinking, like in the back of my mind, it's like, listen, but what are the optics? We're three white dudes talking about this, and we're about to talk about two other white dudes making movies. But you know, it, it's and, and truth be told, I'm like, I'm I'm kind of spinning, like thinking out loud here. I'm not sure you know how how that comes across but i mean that's also what we're here and that's what we're doing and it's just this right. idea of totally these are the, totally. also these are the kind of things that we have these passions that they bring us joy so like let's 
let's indulge in those passions and those joys so that we can kind of, like I said, re-energize and kind of get out there as well. So most definitely. Um, so back to, to you two guys, pod and the pendulum, talk to me a little bit about for, if listeners haven't heard of you guys before, what your podcast is, uh, you know, there's a lot of horror podcasts out there. Some of which are kind of hit and miss with their quality. I won't name any names on this podcast, but, uh, Ooh, I will. You're like, we have receipts. <laughs> so, um, I'm not going to encourage that. I'm not going to discourage that either, but, um, no. yeah. What, what's, what's you two guys story? Like, how did you meet? how did you get connected and how did you start the pod and the pendulum? Uh, should I take this a little bit, Jerry? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was okay. kind of your baby at the beginning, so go for it. So, yeah. So I had this idea in grad school, like, because I basically, um, from 2009 till about 2017, uh, I ran a site called All Things Horror, mm -hmm. um, where we focused primarily on independent horror movies, and we hosted a uh, monthly independent horror movie night uh, from 2010 to 2015 at the Somerville Theater just outside Boston. And once grad school started, it was basically no time for anything else that was fun. It was really like locking down for two years on work, school, and family. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like get to really pursue any of my uh, creative hobbies that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. So I kind of thought of this idea i'm like well when i'm done with school i'd like to do a show that is more about like the franchise horror because i thought it would be easier to kind of like knock out episodes all in a row with guests and you know put you know kind of store them in the bank and i could just do it when i felt like doing it uh so we would talk about you know friday the 13th nightmare on elm street uh, Halloween, but also, you know, the smaller franchises like Poltergeist mm -hmm. or Critters or, you know, <laughs> Tremors, you know, the things that we don't necessarily, not a lot of shows really focus on overall, even though those movies have their fans too. Mm -hmm. um, so the original idea was I'll have a different guest every week to kind of come on and talk about a few of these movies. And, you know, Jerry and I knew one another basically through social media. We've actually never met. Um, and you know, Jerry reached out, like, sure, I'll come on the show. And I'm like, great. Which episode? He's like, well, all of them. So <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I'm like, and you know, I tossed it over for a minute and I'm like, well, let's give it a whirl because it might be better to have like a co-host every week and be less. And we kept the idea though. Let's still bring on as much as we can, you know, a guest every week. And we wanted to make sure in you know, like women in horror is definitely a um, pet passion of mine. Like we went back with all things horror was running. We worked with the Etheria Film Festival to be like the East Coast premiere. Oh, cool. um, you know, all things horror always had phenomenal um, women writers, including uh, Deidre Crimmins, who writes for Rue Morgue and mm. a number of other terrific like her her writing over the past 10 years has just really blossomed and we were so lucky to have her um not only as a writer but as someone that had like tremendous passion and organizational skills mm -hmm. uh, that i sometimes lack uh on the organizational side um so we wanted to make sure we had like a lot of guests that were women that were part of the lgbt community um so we and, and although it's not a hundred percent i feel like we have had had like some success in that area in like spotlighting different voices that mm -hmm. aren't just like two cis straight white dudes that, you know, and I'm not of the mind that like 
oh, you know, like the last thing the world needs is another show with two straight white guys mm-hmm. that are middle-aged because like, fuck, uh, screw that noise. Like if you're creative and you're passionate, like definitely do what you wanted to do. Like don't silence yourself, but just leave space for others and make sure that you're trying to boost others as well. Of course. Absolutely. I like coming into the show for me, like what I thought was really funny is, and, and yes, Mike is right. I totally did the all episodes thing because for some reason that's just who I am, I guess. Like, which is kind of bold. I think looking mm-hmm. back, that was kind of like a bold move on my part. Shot your shot. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but what I thought was funny is we had this idea, uh, like, or Mike had this idea and he brought me on board. And like, what was funny is like, okay, well, what's the first thing we tackle? And the first series that we tackled was, like, one of my least favorite horse series around. Yeah. So right from the beginning, it was just, like, you know, jumping right in to, like, something that I wasn't even a big fan of. But what's so great about the show, and I don't mean this just because we host it, but I just mean for me personally, is that in talking about different films, especially, like, films that I'm not sometimes not a huge fan of, Mm -hmm. I've learned to appreciate them in ways I didn't before doing it hmm. you know i've i've never been a fan of the scream series i get a lot of crap for that oh, but wow. you know it's just it's just never been my thing okay. but in talking about them with not only mike but our different guests like it, it's helped me appreciate movies that maybe i didn't take the time to kind of step back and look at right. more. do you have a, a specific film or, or like franchise example you can speak on uh scream <laughs> oh, well, yeah, right it was it was right uh, there so in front was... of me yeah uh, those just, uh, Cherry hates Wes Craven for some reason. Oh like, no, that is really... definitely not true. That is definitely <laughs> not true. No, but like just in even like okay, the Halloween series is like the like cinematic love of my life. I love those movies more than most things. Like sure. most of more most of my children. But uh, <laughs> but I mean there. I mean let's be honest. There's some rough ones in there. Oh sure. But we what we've tried to do is come at it and we failed a couple times but we try to come at even the movies we don't appreciate or don't like per se uh we kind of try to come at them in a friendly way to have more of a conversation about them and we try to get a guest that actually likes the movies Mm. you know to where it doesn't it's not just another show about dudes just like crapping on stuff they don't like yeah Mm -hmm. and i think in having guests that like those movies we kind of learn to appreciate them more like uh book of shadows the blair witch project the second one. Oh yeah yeah you know like i'll never be a fan of that movie but having the guests that we had on talking about it like it, it kind of made sense why people like it or halloween mm-hmm. six mm-hmm. halloween six is a movie that i will never enjoy i could guarantee it but like our guests talking to them about it like you know like you kind of see why people like what they like and i really appreciate that about the show mm-hmm. yeah having anya staley stanley anya staley on to talk about Halloween six, like I've become a fan of that movie. Like I think that um, within the producer's cut and the, and, and the theatrical, there was like one very good movie to be made of the two. And it's like now one of those movies where I'm like, this will go into the rotation each October mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, it's fun having, you know, and like, I would never be a fan of book of shadows. Like Blair, Witch project is one of my all time favorite films period and book of shadows is one of the first movies i've ever walked out of feeling angry at the movie um and i'll never enjoy that movie but i'll enjoy someone like jenks coming on Mm -hmm. to discuss why he loves the movie um 
even if it means we can just dunk on him for an hour and a half. <laughs> so, um, like that and uh, another thing that's always been great is I sometimes I feel like our podcast should have just been named like shoot your shot mm-hmm. because from the beginning like like we ne- even when we were just starting out I mean and I say that and it sounds silly because we've only been doing it for a year but when we were starting out we kind of had these like like starry eyes about it like oh you know we're going to talk about the Blair Witch Project obviously we're going to get the director of the Blair Witch Project on the show mm-hmm. you know like oh we like this wrestler let's see if he wants to come on the show you know like uh every time I die is my favorite band of all time oh, wow. uh, okay. I, yeah. I, I I see them talking online about wanting to watch a movie like like in a movie mm-hmm. you know the singer's coming on our show in a week you know like oh, it's awesome. It's it, like, you know, you spoke at the beginning. I, I can't remember if we were recording it about, you know, uh, as far as guests and that kind of stuff and, and saying that, you know, podcasts, nobody. But I, I, I disagree. I think as you're out here putting a show for people to listen to, people enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just as important as like these really big podcasts. And I, I think what has helped maybe our podcast a lot is shooting our shot for guests that we think people would want to hear when it comes to these movies mm-hmm. and also i think the my favorite thing about the podcast is how many friends and i do say friends not listeners how many friends we've made because of it mm-hmm. people that people that i admire and value so much have have become like our close friends because they listen to our show and we engage with every single person that contacts us on twitter or or any social media mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I feel like it's almost formed like a little community based on the show. And that's that's the biggest takeaway for me, I think. Right. And and that is great. And that's one of the things that you can really kind of count on for the horror community specifically is like um, there are passionate fans there are passionate movie fans. But the passion that a horror fan brings to a franchise, a title is, is kind of like next level, basically. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned um people coming on and talking about films that you will never like or you'll never enjoy, but just the the way that these people speak about them. I, I don't know if you guys ever listened to uh, uh, the canon, which I, I don't... I don't know if it's still going on. It was... Devin Faraci was co-hosting it, and then... With Amy oh, Nicholson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember listening to an episode on uh cannibal holocaust because i i'm friends with sam zimmerman and he was the the host or he was the guest on that one just like i've seen that movie i find it detestable but like the passion that he spoke on about like "Ah, i i kind of appreciate what he's what he's saying and talking about even if i can't actually Mm -hmm. relate to it on on a different level and that's that's something that's great about the horror community is that you have those people who's like, hey, I need someone to come on and talk about Halloween Resurrection. You will find five people who who will be willing to come on and talk about Halloween Resurrection yeah. for you. And I would say, like, our you know, the passion about movies is what we try to really kind of bring out when we get guests or the movies that we choose to do. Um, because I will be very honest, like, there's a big difference in us talking about say alien which is one of my all-time favorite movies mm-hmm. and critter and critters four um <laughs> it's like jerry as, as jerry can attest to like my notes like we'll go into aliens and i'll have 10 pages of typed single space notes and then critters four i'll be like all right we're just gonna wing it today you know um, which is definitely a thing but one thing our listeners have been great about like they will 
there, there was one show I think that we did. It was the sequel to The Lost Boys, which is a direct oh. video. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. it's oh, probably boy. the worst show we ever did. Um, not because of the quality of The Lost Boys sequel, but because all we did for like 90 minutes was really like dunk on the movie. And that's not typically who we are. Yeah. Um, so and a, a couple of our listeners called us out and they're like, look, after about a half hour, I have to turn it off this week. <laughs> and um, because, Lucky, you know, dude. <laughs> yeah, we had to talk about it for two hours. Yeah, right? So I mean, they got to just turn it off. I had to edit that stuff down, too, so <laughs> to hear it all over again. Um, but we try to be really kind of and not disingenuous, like we're not going to falsely praise something. But we try, you know, we'll critique things, but also try to find some merit in mm-hmm. what we cover. We, we do try to be mindful. There's another show that's they're 100 times bigger than us. So this is you know, a mild criticism and by no means like trashing someone. But I used to listen to like We Hate Movies mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And the gentlemen that run that show were extremely funny, yes. extremely talented. But after a while, like, I, I, you know, I think back on what that listener said about our show on that particular episode. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of why I stopped listening to that show, because I just felt like, why do I want to feel bad about like liking a movie at this point? If it's just like getting mercilessly mm-hmm. just ragged on. So we, we do try to keep things as, you know, it's the hardcore band, good, clean, fun one said, you got to stay positive. Yeah. That, and uh, also, I mean, we care about what people think about our show. Mm-hmm. Like we read every review, good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> and we try to like, you know, whatever, like, criticism that we have we try to like you know rectify it or change i mean there's some of them mm-hmm. that we don't listen to like like my favorite one is fire jerry now fire. which you know i <laughs> contemplated for a bit. right let's, let's hear this guy out you know, that one or like an, right and another one that like i've tried to like tiptoe around when recording is you know we try not to push any political beliefs on anyone mm-hmm. because you know it's not my place to tell people what to believe you know and i try to be respectful i try to be respectful of you know what other people believe but like there's there was one comment that that basically said that you know basically every once in a while we turn into social justice warriors when talking about alien or something and it's just like well buddy it's a political movie <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah it's mm-hmm. bound to come out but, like, uh, speaking of what you said earlier, a se- like, a second ago, though, uh, even if it wasn't Cannibal Holocaust, I could hear Sam Zimmerman talk about anything oh, for anything. an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that guy, oh, man, that guy is like a walking punk rock zine. Like, I just, I've always loved Sam and what he had has to offer, just in general. I'm a long-time, long-time fan of that guy's work. Uh, and he's a, a phenomenal karaoke uh, participant as well, I have to say that. Oh, definitely. That and uh, the, I remember, see, I used to write for Shock Till You Drop back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, here and there when Ryan Turek ran it. But I remember when when Zimmerman took it over for a little while, it was like such a breath of fresh air. I don't mean that against Turek. I just meant like, I thought Sam Zimmerman would be perfect to head a site like that. And though it didn't last very long, like that time that he ran Shock, like it was, it was so much fun, I thought. <laughs> right, no. It's uh, it's it's absolutely great, and it's it's funny what you say. I still do listen to We Hate Movies. I fully understand that criticism. And I think they've they 
try to counterbalance that by every now and again they'll do like a month of we love movies well they'll talk about something right. like a film but it's but i, I also and under- those shows are brilliant when they do that those shows are like because they're all very intelligent and very funny like those shows they're outstanding so they're yeah. those are must listen mm-hmm. now this raises a question for me too because i remember um Alamo Draft House here in uh, Brooklyn, which is, as most movie theaters are, is not currently open, but they used to do a thing every Monday called Video Vortex, which was they'd show some weird, uh, like, obscure indie or foreign title or something which was just so bonkers out there, but the host would, like, legitimately love these titles that she curated them, she'd host them, and she'd kind of, like, introduce them, and she expressed in one viewing one night how she never really liked Mystery Science Theater 3000 because she's like, I don't think those guys like these movies. I think it's just, why would you invest so much time in critiquing and tearing something down when it's like, I, you know, she legitimately loved that. So I, I guess it's just, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it was, which is funny because I was, I won't say I was raised on that show, but I loved that show as a kid and just kind of like, yeah, I, I kind of understand where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've never bought into the whole so bad it's good thing yeah like if, if you are even guilty pleasures is worse for me like if you like something like it unabashedly mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i will fight to the death for blumhouse's gym like <laughs> i am not even joking that that was one of my favorite movies that year which <laughs> i know street cred out the window but you know what i mean like or like a film like miami connection mm-hmm. like i remember like when when draft house put that out you know everyone was just like oh man it's so bad it's good i watched that and i was just like f you guys this movie's great like <laughs> like you know i'm not saying it's like technically you know a marvel of a film but like if you could get lost and enjoy something for 90 minutes, mm-hmm. I don't see the so bad it's good. I see just the good in that. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think with something like and look, I'm not bashing anyone that likes mystery science theater because, you know, it's an enjoyable program. Like it's fun. It's funny. But I don't know if anyone's ever come out of like mystery science theater wanting to like i want to dive deeper into these kind of movies and learn about more about this particular subgenre and what else is there out there um because like mystery science theater isn't about putting over the movies it's about putting over the hosts yeah the, the comedy, um, yeah right that's what it's about it's not about the movies at all um you know i have a 10 year old daughter who we watch a lot of stuff together stuff you know like last night we watched total recall together and you know she's far too young for that movie but whatever um but every now and then because you know all the kids love youtube she'll watch something like cinema sins and i'll actually sit down and talk with her about why like it's not the best idea to watch that and Mm -hmm. it's not like you know they're bad at what they do but it's more like it's the kind of criticism of movies that like is so surface level. And although some of it is really funny, like when, after I had got done watching Prometheus for one of our upcoming shows, (laughs) I went out and I just wanted to seek out like everything wrong with in 10 minutes or less. And it's easy to get stuck down that rabbit hole because some of them are really funny. Um, you know, and if there's a good, like they did Alien, and they're like, look, it's freaking Alien. This movie is awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it's to me, we hope more than anything else that, like, we're putting over the movies and not ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, that, like, that, and I feel like that mentality that a lot of that stuff 
puts out is infectious. And I think that that might be that might be what's wrong with a lot of online personas people put out is that that it's it's all about a lot of things these days. It's about tearing things down and being a long time lifelong supporter of independent cinema. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was the 14, 15 year old kid wanting to go see, you know, like a Jim Jarmusch movie. Like, (laughs) like I had no, like, I'm serious. I had no friends. That was like, like when the IFC channel finally was came out, like that was like Mm -hmm. bigger than my first kid being born for me. Like, like it was, it was huge. You know, I I discovered uh, Scorsese's early films, you know, uh, you know, Jim Jarmusch, like I said, uh, you know, Alexander Rockwell, all these great directors. So independent cinema has always been very close to my heart. And I feel like this mentality of ripping everything apart, I think it's it, it hurts independent films, especially mm-hmm. horror films, because it takes a lot to get a movie made. Sure. You know, like uh, my last legitimate short film was in 2016. And, you know, that's for good reason. It, you know, money's hard to make, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, so like while a lot of independent films, especially horror films, aren't that great, but you've got to stop and like come at it a different place and try to tear everything down. These are people that worked hard to make a movie. And I feel like that even kind of leads into the Benson Moorhead thing, you know, like these guys are making independent films that feel bigger than what they are because of imagination, because of uh, thinking outside the box and because of these huge ideas that are executed with precision, but I mean, make no mistake, they're independent films. And I feel like as, as cinema lovers and fans of horror genre, I I feel like it's our duty to kind of lift up what we like instead of actively tear down what we don't. No, right on, man. That's, that's awesome that you say that. And and especially, I mean, you, you have gifted me the perfect segue into getting into the conversation about uh, Benson and Moorhead as filmmakers. And also it's, it's even more relevant to me because on my other podcast, The Cast of Cthulhu, one of the, f- the films we just covered was The Void. And uh, The Void is a, a cool little independent horror film that the, both of the, the writers and directors were open about how miserable of an experience it was to make. And yet they made something which is really cool, really evocative, and um, is a success on its own, basically, as, as a piece of art. Um, Man, I, I love The Void with the passion. It, yeah, it's a fun, you know, it oh. kind of collapses under its own weight a little bit, but when it's well, on, it's really Oh, it's on. good. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay, so Benson and uh, Benson and Moorhead. So they don't have an extensive uh, feature um, resume, if you will. I mean, they but they shoot a bunch of their own stuff. They It seems like they produce a bunch of their whole stuff. My first exposure to them, without even realizing until I was in conversation with the two of you, about this theme was their segment from VHS Viral, uh, Bone Storm, which as a film I didn't love that one, but their segment I thought was the best one of that one by far, which is another conversation. But um, yeah, I mean, these two guys, I guess, what what draws you both to them? Because, I mean, we were talking off mic a little bit, and one of you said, um, I could talk about these guys for days, basically. So here's your opportunity to talk about it. What is it about these two guys that, like, yep, we're going to come on and we're going to talk about these two? Benson so and Moorhead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Mike. No, you go ahead, Jerry. Damn it. No, uh, <laughs> no, uh, Benson Moorhead for me, right from the beginning, like, you know, you're in for something unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, d- I discovered their work. Uh, I used to be the editor in chief for Icons of Fright mm-hmm. for a few years. Uh, and before I was the editor in chief, I was just basically just a contributor. I was a writer every once in a while. 
and Rob Galuzzo, uh, he was kind of getting way too busy with like stuff that he had going elsewhere. Like I think he was just about to join FearNet and a bunch of other stuff during that era, and he needed someone to kind of like lead the site. So he asked me to be editor in chief. Mm. And one of the first films that I reviewed for that site was this little movie I, I had no idea what it was it was going to premiere at the tribeca film festival so their publicist sent it our way and rob couldn't do it so he's like jerry will you, will you check out this movie resolution and you know it hadn't even been released like i said tribeca film festival and i watched it and it's still to this day one of and i i hate to overuse the word profound but it was one of the most profound experiences as far as like being a a film lover for me because I saw this movie that I had zero expectations for. Mm-hmm. And you could tell it didn't have much of a budget. And, you know, it's very small. It's very personal. It's very uh, isolated, the, whole, the entire film. Mm-hmm. And what it is, it's a perfect example of, of kind of what I said, I think, a minute or two ago, of not having a lot of money, but having big ideas. And that can make any other filmmaker who isn't as prepared as these guys are every single film of theirs fold under pressure. Because especially when with a lack of budget and, and, and independent independently, like it, it's hard to get movies made and be able to execute what's in your head without, you know, the money to back it up. And they took these big ideas and uh, like put them on this very personal story and you know, raised a lot of questions about identity and, you know, the people that we cared about, are they the same, you know, is it the same person nowadays, you know, like all these different questions and it just blew me away. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I researched so much on those guys based on that one film. And obviously there wasn't a lot because it was their first film. Sure. But the fact that these guys met while both being interns at Ridley Scott's production company and hit it off and had like-minded ideas about film and stuff, like mm-hmm. that instantly made me fans. And, uh, or a fan, I mean. And so right from the beginning, I knew I just loved these guys. Yeah, for me, I remember um, because our site was like so focused on trying to find like, the best in independent horror, I remember my friend Brad McCarg who was one of the hosts at, who is still one of the hosts at Tell You Ride Horror Show. He started there a year before um, I did. He mentioned this title to me. He was like, I think you would really enjoy it. And, you know, I, I think I emailed the production company and said, can you send over like a DVD or a link to it? Um, and I remember like to Jerry's point, like obviously it's not made for a lot of money, but the performances in it um, are just incredible overall and to me it was this really intimate story about friendship mm-hmm. and the lengths that a person will go to in order to salvage a friendship but at the same time needing to understand that individuals have their own autonomy mm-hmm. um, even if it means they're going to engage in self-destructive behaviors uh, to me like it really spoke to me on that level and like seeing someone want to help out their friend and want to have things um work out for them but then not realizing you're taking away their agency at that point and how harmful mm-hmm. that can be mm-hmm. uh, and i'm sure we'll dive deeper into that as we discuss the movie but also like going back and watching it again and again like realizing that it's this really wonderful tale about just 
how difficult it is to create anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can tell you as someone that used to play poorly, but used to play bass in a couple bands and, you know, someone who tried to write as often as possible. There are times where you just like are hunched over your keyboard doing anything you can to will the words to come out and it seems impossible Mm -hmm. so you know on a meta level this is a story about how difficult it is to create something Mm -hmm. and all the struggles that go into that and i found myself really appreciating the movie on those terms as times as times went on as well and then just like there are so many cool little red herrings and Mm -hmm. a larger kind of mystery to it that isn't spoon fed to the audience. Like you really have to work to kind of engage with this movie, but it rewards you the more, the more you are willing to engage with it, the more, the big, bigger rewards you'll get from viewing it. That And what's so great about these guys as filmmakers and storytellers is they take genre films, but make them feel kind of like personal, personal, it's so interesting like the every film they make they've made would work on just a drama level if all the Mm -hmm. horror elements were taken out Mm. like they're very like personal emotional stories that just have like horror and genre like elements to them like this one you know a, a a guy's trying so hard to help his estranged friend who's addicted to like you know to drugs get clean and find out and find who he was, who he once was to everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone else is burned. Everyone else is like just severed ties with this, this basically junkie friend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mike, the main character, he wants so hard to, uh, you know, to, to redeem his friend. But yeah, he wants his friend to get clean and he wants him to find out who he is. But then all these horrible things happen or in spring, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but Spring, it's a love story that just happens to have some Lovecraftian monster elements to it. <laughs> you take those out, and it's it's one of the most beautiful love stories around. Mm. You know, I don't mean that in a cheesy way, but it's it's very like it's very pure. And that's that's one thing about these these guys' films. Like they feel pure. They don't feel contrived. They don't feel like they're trying to like candy coat anything. They don't feel like they're trying to push anything down their viewers' throats. And like Mike said, like they're smart about it. They don't they don't talk down to their audience. You know, like it it is work watching their films in a good way. And I I appreciate that about them. I am a sucker for a a film which sort of focuses on its story and its characters first and sort of has some genre stuff around the periphery or at least it's not the main focus Mm -hmm. of it. It's one of the reasons why Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies because it's a good story. But there's also some weird unexplained reason that this guy is repeating the same day over and over again i'm not the biggest fan of brit marling's work but another earth i love because it's this great genre which just so happens to take place in a world where hey a duplicate earth has all of a sudden appeared out of nowhere um Mm -hmm. and i i I love i resonate with the thought you said of just this idea of, of seeing a film for the first time without expectations one of my favorite horror films of all time is still session nine which was a movie that i that i rented basically just because i saw the cover in the video store i'm like that one seems cool and it's still one of my favorites to this very day and the fact that brad anderson's career never really took off is kind of a mystery to me but that's a conversation for another day certainly so 
One, uh, one general question I kind of want to pose to both of you guys before we get into the title-specific conversation is, because, uh, Jerry, you also mentioned doing a lot of research on these guys when you first heard about Resolution. So what what do they kind of bring as like a, as a directing pair? Because that doesn't happen very often. And, I mean, when we do see it, like the Coens, you know, we kind of are taken for granted that it's just the two of them. And, and it's, it's sort of like you'll never really know in great detail what one brings and what the other one does. But just what do you, in, in your experience or in your opinion... Do they bring as like a pair versus if just it was a just a Justin Benson film or just an Aaron Moorhead film? Well, I, I think Benson comes at it more of from a writing perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I know Benson wrote Spring, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, you know, and that's that's not taking anything away from Aaron Moorhead because I think he's a fucking or sorry. I think he's a genius. No, go ahead and swear. But, I, I marked the podcast as explicit for a reason. Okay, cool. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm the only reason our podcast has it. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but like Vincent comes, I think, from more of a writing perspective, mm-hmm. and and I mean, he's a great actor. Outside of that, you know, even in in films that he's acted in that they don't have anything to do with, he's he's great. Mm-hmm. I, I know Moorhead is more of a, uh, I think, a visual person. Mm-hmm. That and and really good with special effects like they kind of do I, I if i'm i could be wrong but i think that they take care of most of their own special effects mm-hmm. okay. as, as especially in resolution i know that you know so I, I think it's a great combination of people that are not better at one thing than the other because I, I think they're equal but i think maybe i think a good partnership is identifying what your partner is really great at and kind of lifting them up with it mm-hmm. and the, even just if you look at interviews, the way that they talk to each other, you know, there's like a deep respect between them and that that's something that like, you know, any partnership throughout the years, you know, you look at early things with all these different great partnerships and there's like sincerity and there's appreciation, you know, maybe that fades over time, you know, but these guys, you could tell that they, they genuinely love what the other, that what they do, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think it shows. Yeah, and I think for me, like a part of it is like from listening to them speak, I know with like Justin Benson, a lot of times he brings very practical solutions to the logistics of of trying to shoot very low budget independent cinema. Like I know with Resolution, that was filmed on land that his dad owned. Um, So those cabins, and I think they even talk about this a bit. Uh, recently, they did a commentary on Resolution for the mm-hmm. Chattanooga Film Fest, and they talked about going back to the cabin where they shot and how it's actually all done up now. Like, it's actually livable at this point, um, <laughs> and how kind of sad that made them in a little bit of a way. But mm-hmm. they were, you know, he talked about just, he, he talked, I remember interviewing him um, at Fantastic Fest when Spring was debuting there. And him talking about how it was almost shot in Baltimore just because, like, they did not know how they were going to come up with the money to do, like, an on-location shoot in Italy. Um, <laughs> Baltimore. So, right? The, the perfect American equivalent like, of, of Italy, yeah. would have been a such a different know, movie. The, the many vineyards of Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> um, but it's definitely... Um, you know, so he brought like a lot of practical solutions and a lot of practical thinking mm. to um, 
the, the process overall. And, you know, I think like they bounce ideas off one another extremely well. They're both very intelligent and neither of them are married to any one idea. Like they're able to kind of like really look at their visions and see how they kind of intersect with one another and come up with the best possible story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds awesome. And it's once again, getting back to the reference of the Coens I made, anecdotally i've heard that they i don't know if they still do it or they used to do it but at the beginning of every film production they've kind of said to the cast and crew listen if any of you have a better idea on how you think we can tell this story let us know because it's the story which is what they're most concerned about now if that's true or not i'm not sure i think winning oscars might do something to your ego i'm not sure i haven't won Mm -hmm. any yet but um it's just that idea of we're trying to tell the best story possible how can we do that which is something which i think is really really cool um so I guess we can just get right into the, the, the recommendations, the specific titles. And if, if you listeners know anything about these two guys, you know that their feature resume is not extensive. So it's not going to be a big surprise, the kind of stuff we're talking about. But Mike or Jerry, whichever one you want to start, your first recommendation, why you're starting with this one. I have to assume it's resolution because it's chronological order, but by all means, it, it's your show. I, you know, I'm going to say it depends on what you're into overall if you're not someone that loves horror movies if you're someone that is more into like romantic or thrillers like i don't really know what you're into although i don't think any of their movies are straight horror movies but i would almost start with spring because i think that is just one of the most beautiful films made of the past 10 years um and i think it's one that best exemplifies like one thing one uh current that i think runs through all three of their movies is there this there's this element of hope hope at the end of it, um, and there's this element that or this this idea that like if persons do come together that things can get better overall. And I know with like Spring, it's one of those movies that to me is just like it's a stunning. It's visually it's just a rich movie to look at. It looks gorgeous. It's amazing how much they were able to get on basically a shoestring budget um but it has this beautiful underlying love story that runs throughout it um with characters that are really easy to root for uh yeah yeah definitely and and like mike i i would definitely i would i would recommend spring 100 percent of the time anytime anyone would ask me it doesn't matter what week it is for me like, <laughs> spring is their masterpiece as far as i'm concerned for so many reasons I mean, it is it is a film about a a a man who is just at his personal worst. You know, his mom passes away. He doesn't really know what he's doing with his life at that point. He acts out with violence. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of running from he's kind of running from himself in so many ways. And he goes to Italy kind of to get out of town because the cops are looking for him for beating the hell out of this guy. Who deserves it? <laughs> uh, definitely deserves it. Uh, but anyways, he and he goes to Italy. He kind of backpacks. You know, he he sees the world. He's trying to you know trying to find himself, and he he meets this woman that he just thinks is perfect. Mm. Not just perfect in general, but he kind of like feels a kinship to this person, and he he. You know, like I hate to just say fall in love because I mean I'm not trying to turn this into like the Nicholas Sparks hour. But, you know what I mean? Like, he meets this, this woman, and she's just perfect for him. He really you wants know? to touch your boobs, basically. That, that too. <laughs> really? That too. Uh, 
But yeah, he finds this person, and what makes this movie so special to me is it very much speaks on finding that person that you feel is perfect for you, and then realizing that they're just as fucked up as you are. And you come to the you come to the crossroads in any relationship where you're like, this person isn't perfect, but why it's shitty of me to make them seem like they have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And it, it asks you how much you're willing to stay next to somebody knowing their flaws, you know? And in this case, she might turn into a Lovecraftian monster and kill him. <laughs> you know, that's the worst that could happen. <laughs> or she might not, you know? And I, I think it's such a wonderful, wonderful film that, like, even if you don't like horror films, I mean, like Mike said, like, I don't think any of their films are just straight-up horror films. You know, there, there's there's a root of love. There's a root of, yeah. of you know, there's a root, like, built in, in, in caring and nurturing just, like, humanity that I think is one of the things I love about all of their films. All of their films... I mean, minus Bonestorm, uh, but all of their films are very much about people and how they react to each other and what makes people people. And I think Spring is the the best the best example of that. There's this idea that runs throughout Spring um, where no one ever does anything alone, or no one is ever their best self when they're on their own. And you have this this lead character who basically gives birth to a different version of herself every time she mates with another man. Like that's her whole thing is she needs to mate with a person in order to give birth to herself again. And she's had to do this for centuries now. And the idea behind it is if she chooses to remain who she is, then she will just age and die like the rest of us where Otherwise, she can be born anew every single time and remain forever young. And there's this idea of like, do you, is it worth it to just remain static and just remain on your own? Or is there something better to be had by, you know, finding yourself a companion or companions that bring out the best in you? And how much of yourself are you willing to risk? And willing to put out there um, the good, the bad, and the ugly in order to, you know, be a part of a larger community or be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And it's fear of the unknown in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You know, when he first, when Lou Taylor Pucci's character, when he first sees what she is and what she's capable of, I mean, he does what most people would do and run, books it. You know, because, because to be honest, we're all about self-care we're all about you know oh that's just me i'm i'm not perfect but when you see someone else who isn't perfect our first our first instinct is to run mm-hmm. you know and i think that this film speaks on not only like not running but but making that person know that no matter what no matter how fractured or faulty that you think you are i'm not going anywhere mm-hmm. and i think that you know you know, you mentioned horror having such a uh, horror fans being so passionate about what they're into, you know, and you I mean, you're not going to go to a romantic comedy convention. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> you're not going to go to like there's no like day of the notebook. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> sure. But those same themes of being there for someone 
is alive and well in so many genre films. And I think genre films especially get such a bad rap for it being all like blood and guts. But there are so many really good themes and ideas in so many of them. And I mean, like I said, I think Spring is definitely Benson Moorhead's masterpiece for me. Right. Yeah, and if, if there are uh, romantic or romantic comedy conventions out there, you're certainly not going to find Barbara Crampton at them, which is, I mean, why even go then if that's going to be the case? Which is a shame, right? <laughs> but, it's really a shame. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to me, like, if you pair Spring with a movie that was just released this year, um, After Midnight by Jeremy Gardner, who was the other director, I was seriously, again, only has three films, but all three are brilliant, and they're <laughs> made for, like, literally the price of a 10 year old uh toyota rav4 um <laughs> if you do a double feature of spring and after midnight i will guarantee you're making a baby that, that and, absolutely that and jeremy gardner is in spring he and is. and benson justin benson is in after midnight and yes. they produce that too so there's definitely a combination there there's connection <laughs> But there's, yeah, there, there's this undercurrent of, like, indie horror filmmakers right now. Like, uh, Joe Bezos is part of that as well, where uh, Graham Skipper is part of that as well, where they are all um, working together and working on one another's projects. Uh, Bray Grant as well, who has been in After Midnight and has her own projects, um, Best Friends Forever. And I'm drawing a blank on the new one that she's doing. Um, but best friends forever is a great kind of sci-fi low budget, um, um, indie drama with sci-fi elements to it. They're all kind of creating this art together. And there's these wonderful themes that kind of of hope that run throughout all of their work that I can't recommend strongly enough. And that's the, the major thing about spring spring, obviously when you, it has a loaded, connotation to the name of it but you know this idea of rebirth and this idea of growth and this idea of optimism and that optimism is something like those last shots of spring uh feel so well earned and so well attentioned that they're just really uplifting i think we need kind of more of that right now no absolutely um and relevant to our uh what we even talked about previously it's also currently streaming on shutter den of geek has an article from this month Best horror movies to watch on Shutter and Spring is on there. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I will say, there seems to be a character in this film called Bancroft Dawson. If he does not have a top hat and monocle, I'm going to riot with a, <laughs> with a name. I don't like, think he does. Uh, well, <laughs> Bancroft Dawson. <laughs> okay, so uh, so we got Spring as the first one, um, and starting with their so-called masterpiece sets the bar pretty high. So what uh, mm-hmm. what's going to have to clear that bar with the second one? Let's go resolution. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because I think because I think the last film you don't have to watch resolution to appreciate the endless. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that if you do do that, you get a deeper understanding and appreciation of it overall. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. Like, I mean, like Mike said, you don't have to watch resolution to appreciate the endless, but there's definite connections there it's it's definitely a universe mm-hmm. so it makes the experience so much better to have seen the first one first uh resolution yeah definitely that would be my my second one too because i mean it's such a just not down and dirty because it's, it's nothing crazy but like it's such a small contained personal story mm-hmm. and i think that that's where these guys 
uh, I think that's when they do their best is when they do these small personal stories, which makes me really wonder how synchronic their new film's going to be because it has like, you know, I think somewhat of a bigger budget and, you know, as the dude from Fifty Shades of Grey and stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm so excited to see it. I'm just wondering how it's going to be. Whereas Resolution, I mean, it, it that and, like, the performances in Resolution, you feel like you're watching some of your close friends talk. And I think that's another thing that speaks volumes on Vincent Moorhead is that their writing, as far as dialogue, is some of the most realistic dialogue around. Mm-hmm. I, you know, as a, as a writer, that's always like the most important thing for me. I mean, any any like films that I've made have mostly been just been talking, and mm-hmm. I get a, uh, people don't like that, I guess. <laughs> but, but dialogue's always been very important to me. You know what I mean? Like like, uh, and these guys, they have such a knack for writing uh, conversations that feel like you you would be having them. And I think that the the dynamic between the two characters in Resolution, uh, like I said, you feel like you're watching two friends talk, and that helps you kind of helps kind of draw you into the films. And I think it's the perfect film to follow up uh, Spring with. Yeah, it's uh, the character that I think it's Peter Ciela plays. I think it's the character of Mike. It is you definitely feel for him as a person that is watching what his best friend is going through Mm -hmm. and knowing that everyone has given up on him and all he wants is his friend back. And his friend has basically ruined himself through addiction. And he, all he wants, and you can see like he just wants so badly to help his friend and he feels so helpless in doing so because uh, Chris, um, played wonderfully by Vinnie Curran in this movie, <laughs> doesn't want that help. Like, he basically, and one of the, and I'll be honest, when I first watched this movie, I really struggled as to understand why he would want to just kind of give up and give in. Like, why wouldn't you want to improve your situation? Why do you want to just, because he basically goes out to that cabin to basically drug himself to death. Like, he mm-hmm. just wants to die at that point and there's a turning point in the movie where uh karen's character basically says like this is who i am like i'm a fuck up mm-hmm. like i've always been a fuck up that's just the way it is that's my lot in life like you know i think he says like if i had your parents you know and you know who were kind and supportive and loved me i'd still be a fuck up because that's who i am in my blood it's not nurture it's my nature that's who i am Mm -hmm. um so please just let me do my thing and then you to me really gave me a deeper understanding of like what someone like that would go through and made me empathize with that person and kind of understand like okay like as much as you want to help somebody sometimes you have to let them be responsible for their own decisions and support them as they want to be supported like you can't just do the work you can't do the work for them. I work as a, a therapist, and one of the things I, I tell all my clients, like, I can't work harder than you do. Mm. Like, at the end of the day, I will never know you better than you know yourself. Even if I spent 24 hours a day with you, seven days a week, I am mm-hmm. an hour of your week. Think of how many hours there are in a week. I am a small, insignificant portion of it. If there's something that you want to do, if there's a way that you want to grow, you have to be willing to do the work. Do you guys think that there's something to the 
creativity through confinement. Like, I mean, if these two guys kind of got a deal with Netflix or Prime or something, it's like, listen, budget's not an option. Do you think that they would lose something or they'd become their best selves? I mean, what, oh, what do you yeah. think about that? Absolutely, they'd lose. I, I think they would lose something. Um, I think the, um, you know, almost every filmmaker talks about how they were forced to get creative mm -hmm. because they had no money to do otherwise. Yeah. And if you throw, if you have unlimited funds to throw at something, um, you can kind of get lazy at a certain point. Mm -hmm. I would love to see them with like a, a big budget doing something, you know, mm -hmm. but I, I, I feel like it would be a different side of them. You know, like, yeah. like I've, I've had conversations with these guys because I've interviewed them so many times throughout the years. And, you know, one of their biggest influences is uh, Preacher, you know, the, the comic book series. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, they, they always wanted to do something like that. You know, the, their big inspiration comes from stuff like that. So I, I think there's that side of them that would like to make bigger movies. And I think that they would just kick ass doing it. Mm -hmm. But I think what they're so good at doing is, is telling these very contained smaller stories. Right. Yeah. So I would love to see kind of a combination of both throughout their career. And resolution really speaks to that frustration of having so little money. I think if I, if I'm correct i think the whole thing cost about twelve thousand dollars to me oh wow um yeah it's very you know, small i think I, it was really small um and a lot of it you know because they had access to those locations they didn't have to pay for the location so that yeah. definitely helped mm -hmm. um but you know at the end i remember the end of that movie when they're looking upon this unseen being that you never see there's like this idea well can we try it another way hmm. and i think that's a line that speaks to you know the frustration of trying to create sometimes where you have an idea in your head in your head you have an idea of how you want it to look whether it's you know in musical form on a page or on screen and it's just not quite there hmm. you know like your your reach has exceeded your grasp to an extent and you just feel this like if I just had more time, if I just had a little bit more money, mm -hmm. could I do it a different way? Could I make it better? But at a certain point, you have to say like, this is what I have. Like these are the means, these are the tools. Yeah. That I just have to do it to the best ability that I can with what I have. And you see these little manipulations throughout the movie. You see uh, Peter Ciel's character of Mike basically finding things that have been placed for him. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can see like the creative process at work and how, how your brain kind of nudges you along to tap into certain things. Mm -hmm. No, it, it, it's a, it's, it's a mindset too. I feel like, I mean, if you're so used to creating a certain way, like how, how does your brain work or how does your inspiration work when you get outside of that? One of my, probably my biggest achievement for this podcast is I got to talk to Jim Mickle. He was talking to me mm -hmm. about, about Bong nice. Joon-ho stuff. And uh, that was shortly before Under the Shadow of the Moon came out on Netflix. And mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a pretty good movie. Uh, Mickle's a good director, a very good writer-director, I think. But also, um, of all the stuff that I've seen of him, it's probably my least favorite. Um, and yet, it, you know, Netflix kind of gave him as much control as he absolutely wanted because that's what they, that's what they do. And especially because they didn't sink... You know, they certainly didn't sink uh, House of Cards money into it or something like that. But 
Um, it still just is, I wonder if there's that mindset of like, well, I'm, I'm used to thinking and, and going this one way, and now I kind of have this other way. Is it the brain almost sort of like, that's that's a muscle that hasn't been flexed like that? You know, I, I agree with you 100% as far as Jim Nickel. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I'm a huge fan, and and no, no, you could totally, you could totally tell that. I mean, I, I think his remake of We Are What uh, We Are What We Are is one of my favorite films of all time. Oh, wow. I saw that at a press screening at Fantastic Fest in, in 2013, and, you know, like, it doesn't happen often, but I sat there at, like, 8 or 9 in the morning with, like, tears in my eyes. <laughs> you know, it's such a small, personal, filling movie, you know, and then these people get more money for another movie, you know, from, like, Netflix and stuff. And while they're good movies, like, it's, it's not that the magic's gone, because it's still there, because, you know, Nickel's such a great filmmaker, but it's just a different experience, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I think another reason I think that Benson and Moorhead just have always stood out is that not just the characters that they write being people that you feel like you know, I, like, like Benson and Moorhead themselves, they come across as, like, very down-to-earth, mm-hmm. fun people. I mean, they put... A, an extra commentary on the Blu-ray of Resolution, and it's a commentary with the dog from the film. <laughs> you know, you watch you watch the making of you watch the making of Bone Storm from VHS Viral, and they're making that segment talking to the camera, each holding a forty. You know what I mean? like, these are people you'd want to hang out with. So, like knowing that these are awesome people making these movies, it makes it even that much better. Because, yeah, we could argue that you know separate art from the artist but i mean how many of us truly can you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i'm never gonna watch a victor salva movie i can guarantee that yeah yeah, yeah of course you know what i mean mm-hmm. but like it, it's a good feeling to not put people on a pedestal but at the same time it's a good feeling to know these people making these great personal emotional films are also good people too right to where it, it makes it even more enjoyable as a viewer right. i think i mean you definitely don't want to support yeah, it would be heartbreaking if, like, a month from now we read an interview where they're like, you know, we can only get erections if we strangle puppies. You know, it would be really hard to watch movies. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it would be yeah. it would be difficult to say the least. So you kind of want to, I mean, you want to root for good people to make good art. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, and oh, and cool. I mean. Not not to make this not to turn this podcast into the the Jim Nickel happy hour, but also I I used to I used to be a, a script intern for a production company that did his first couple movies, um, and so I got to see him on like a weekly basis. He was always super nice. Like I was a, a fucking nobody intern. He was always very mm. kind to me. And actually, the very first interview I ever did at my very first job was with him and Nick Dimitri for oh, uh, Mulberry nice. Street, mm. and it was just like they didn't have to give me an hour and a half of time. Who was I? And they did, and it was so it was so right. great. But um, of course, that means uh, we're coming on the last recommendation, which um, uh, you've already talked about it, The Endless, and so I peeked ahead a little bit because I see on the IMDb profile, profile, uh, summary, mentions a UFO death cult, and now The X-Files is my favorite show of all time. I'm a sucker for anything which deals with right. UFOs in like a serious manner. It's, it's a genre or a subgenre that has not been touched since like the 90s, basically, and I'm already excited for this one because, looping back in the VHS franchise, my favorite segment of any of those films is Slumber Party Alien Abduction. Um, sure. So I'm 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 already preemptively kind of pumped for this one just because it's a, a movie that seems like it deals with UFOs, but in a not mm-hmm. cheeky sort of way. 
So I remember, like, it, basically it takes two of the characters. Benson and Moorhead played cult members uh, in Resolution, and they appear in a scene for maybe like 30 seconds to a minute. They encounter uh, the character of, of Mike at mm-hmm. one point when he's exploring the area. And I remember at Fantastic Fest interviewing them for Spring and, and asking, like, what do you guys have coming up? And they named a number of different projects. Mm-hmm. And one, they say, yeah, one we're thinking about is, like, taking, like, the two characters from Resolution that are part of this UFO death cult and doing something with them. Um, and I'm like, oh, great. And I remember thinking, like, that'll never work. like of all your ideas like that sounds like the one i'm least interested in mm-hmm. um and it does something incredible with it where they uh benson and moore had starred in the movie they play brothers that have escaped this you know what's called the ufo death cult basically this end of the world it, or to be fair, you think it's a, a, a end of the world death cult, but that's really what um, Benson's character has told Moorhead's character mm. in order to justify them leaving. Um, okay. And you see how they just don't fit into the real world. Like they um, are working these odd and end jobs. They have no money and they're really struggling to kind of fit in mm-hmm. um they get this tape from one of the members of the cults basically say hey why don't you come back and visit everything's good here and one character convinces the other so they should go back for one day um i hate spoiling anything about this movie uh <laughs> there are definitely lovecraftian elements to it overall there's this idea that the universe is a vast uncaring place mm-hmm. um or maybe it would be more accurate to say that the universe likes to mess with us mm. in ways that we don't understand. Um, and we are really just kind of ants under the spying glass to these gigantic, enormous beings that we can't see or comprehend. Our mind just won't allow us. Mm-hmm. It involves not so much time travel as much as time bubbles. Um, and it ties into resolution in that these little red herrings you saw in resolution come up in the endless in ways where if you've not seen resolution, it won't matter. Um, but if you've seen resolution, you kind of have these whole, you know, like these big moments overall, and you do revisit your two main characters from resolution again, and you get, in, in answer to like what happened at the end of that movie. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like there's, especially with an added element and an added character in the movie, who's part of the cult, there's something that's really heartbreaking about it mm. overall. Um, so, yeah, 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 yeah totally. Uh, what, when I watched the endless, I was so excited because I, you know, I heard people kind of mention connections to resolution and I don't want to spoil it, spoil anything either, but sure. Uh, Resolution's ending, uh, I mean, I, I watched it for the first time, and I was like, oh my god, I would love to see not only what happened after this, but I would also like to to know why this happened. Mm-hmm. And wh- what you get with The Endless, I mean, like like we've said multiple times, I, I think, 
you don't have to watch Resolution to appreciate The Endless because it is such a good movie on its own. But if you are familiar with Resolution and the characters and how it ends, it makes this movie even better. Like you, you get you get that kind of explanation, but in a way that it's kind of like heartbreaking, mm-hmm. you know. And and I don't mean like like I don't like I mean heartbreaking like a you know in a Ritu film, you know, where <laughs> it's just like you feel you feel like someone just punched you in the heart repeatedly after watching it. But like in a way that it's it's almost poetic. It's it's like it's it's just beautiful. Like you watch the end of this movie and you're like, wow, like I cannot believe I watched that. It is like storytelling at its best. That and like I've always been obsessed with cults my entire life, Mm -hmm. like entire life. And I've always wondered what if one of these people were right? You know, (laughs) like what if one of these people were right? Like Mm -hmm. like, how interesting would that have been? You know, and I think the endless kind of speaks to that in some ways. Like, what if these people are really full of shit Mm -hmm. in the way that, like, the public kind of thinks they are? Right. You know, and that and like there's the time bubble time loop thing. It just makes such a good sci fi kind of horror, uh, like just very personal story. It's great. To me, too, it's, it's very much a story about accepting beliefs and accepting other accepting others that are kind of different from yourself because Mm -hmm. you go into the story expecting one thing uh you have this preconceived notion about what they're going to find you know once they return back to the compound um and then as the movie goes on like you're waiting for another shoe to drop with these people but that shoe never really drops and you have like by the end of it you have a completely different understanding of them. And I think that's really wonderful. And it's, a, it's kind of, it's um, throughout the movie, it's something that, that um, Benson's character really struggles with. Like his idea of what he experienced was vastly different from what his brother experiences or feels overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and where is that? Re- where do the realities really meet at that point? And can you let go of, can you let go of these preconceived notions and does that allow you growth as a person at that point and again it, it ends like there are other uh, like um spring does this really hopeful element overall um, yeah but there are moments of real i would of real horror in it where you're we talked about the time bubble element um and i hope this isn't too much of a spoiler but you have these bubbles that of time that might last for days versus bubbles of time that last for maybe a few seconds. And mm-hmm. what you see is this, you know, endless loop of things that occur. And one of them in particular, it's unimaginable to think of what those few seconds are like for that person that is trapped within it. And I think that makes it absolutely terrifying. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, you know, Mike, you, you spoke on kind of like waiting for, you know, the, the shoe to drop. What I think is great is as a viewer watching this movie at first, you're waiting for the shoe to drop on the cult members. You know, Mm -hmm. you're waiting. It's kind of like the invitation. The whole time you're watching the invitation, Mm -hmm. you're like just waiting for confirmation, you know. But what's funny in the endless is the whole time you're waiting for the shoe to drop on the wrong people. When it drops, (laughs) the shoe drops on your main characters and you're like what (laughs) like the whole movie the whole movie you walk into it expecting one thing Mm -hmm. and you're you're wrong (laughs) and i think that that speaks so like speaks so much 
on on Vincent and Moorhead's writing and their just imagination. I mean, and, you know, Mike, a few minutes ago, uh, talked about when he was interviewing them for Fantastic Fest, you know, they talked about all these different projects. Mm -hmm. Before the, before they did The Endless, they were developing this oh, amazing movie that I just I really wanted them to make. And I was so bummed when it didn't at first, all about the kind of lesser known uh, eras of, of uh, Aleister Crowley. Oh, <laughs> oh, and like like that would have been a movie. And so I was so bummed when that didn't get made. And then the endless was announced and I was like, oh, you know, I'll go see how this is. And I'm so glad that this is the movie that was made instead, as much as like that would have been a great movie. Like this is a return to resolution, but with even bigger ideas. And even with that experience that they've had since making resolution to make a story that is so big. Mm -hmm. the, like I, I could watch a whole series of movies set in this universe because it's it's huge without needing the budget to be huge. It's you know I'm I'm not dissing like the the MCU or the Marvel stuff. Mm -hmm. You know they're they're not like my thing, but I have so many friends that are into them. But it's kind of the same thing, but for with like independent genre films. Like I would love to see so many movies set in this universe, mm -hmm. and they're so good at building universes without having that huge banking behind them. One final question I was going to end on was, if these guys would make a comic book movie, which one would they make? Uh, Booster Gold. <laughs> I, I would say they'd be perfect because they have I, – I think they would be perfect for that kind of humor. Mm. Overall, I think they would be really good at making something like that because one thing about their movies is like, A, they're very character-driven, and mm. B, they're very funny in places you don't expect them to be funny. Okay. Yeah, definitely. For me, I I would have them adapt uh, Adam Egypt Mortimer's awesome comic book Ballistic. Okay. Have you have either of you guys read that? I have not. Oh, it's it's one of my favorite comics. I just love it. It's basically about a guy who he he has a, a gun uh, like basically attached to his 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 arm, but the gun is addicted to drugs. <laughs> It's it's not the guy that spun out. It's 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 his gun hand. So it's like all these crazy adventures that are funny, that are that, that feel very in line with this whole kind of like universe thing. I can totally see him that doing that. Or even though it's made into a TV show, like I would love to see these guys tackle a preacher movie. Like oh god, that would be great. I would love to see. I don't know if anyone here. It was from the nineties. It ran about twenty to and it was collected into a graphic novel if anyone's heard of the comic box office poison no no it's by alex robinson um it was it, it very much like weaves three different stories throughout it it's about a relationship a very toxic relationship um you know it speaks to entitled male fandom um way before that became a thing to explore mm -hmm. um there's a very sideways it, it talks about the geek culture of the time and there's a sideways exploration of jack kirby and stan lee and how uh, people like kirby were really mistreated by the um comic book industry mm -hmm. um it's really brilliant um it's collected in a graphic novel. I think I lent it to a person who I'm no longer friends with. So I will have to order it up again for myself. But and it's by no means like a horror movie. But I would love to see someone 
uh, but someone tackle that, um, you know, in general, see that adapted into a movie. That's just me plugging block box office points into the rules, basically. <laughs> that's that's fair. Um, so yeah, uh, as a as a brief recap for listeners, um, we've got spring, we've got resolution, and we've got the endless. Um, guys, with an eye on on sort of wrapping things up, if people have listened to this and be like, you know what, these two are okay. I want to follow what they're doing. Where can people find you uh, and your stuff online? Uh, what's online? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm on all social media, but the only one I'm kind of like not outgoing with. I mean, I like I post pictures of my kids and stuff on Instagram, so it's on private and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter, uh, I'm at Jerry is just okay. <laughs> Uh, it used to be Jerry is awesome when Twitter first started and I, I had no followers and I, I didn't write, so I didn't think anyone would ever see it. But once I started writing, people thought I was really arrogant. So I, <laughs> so I changed it to Jerry is just okay. Uh, that, uh, Mike, you have stuff, right? Yeah. That reminds when you said Jerry is, is, is awesome. I played in a band once, this really tiny punk band, and we used to just like rip on our singer guitarist mercilessly. So I remember I designed a flyer, and it was just a profile picture of him with see my band and then the date and time of the show, no other information. And we were handing it out in like a basement show, and he was there. People were like, "I don't want to see this guy's band." <laughs> It's just like, why do you do this to me? Like, I am really a terrible person. Um, so you can find me over on Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian. Um, you can find our show. I use both uh, my personal site and the show site Pod and Pendulum. Uh, Twitter, we are at Pod and Pendulum. I tend to post the same stuff no matter what, like depending on where I'm happened to be logged in at that time. So there's what's, really no what's filter crazy, there. Really funny, really funny little anecdote that I've been meaning to like just riff on Mike for for a second. Mm-hmm. There was like a week ago, I think it was a week ago, and you were on the, the podcast Twitter. I don't know if you were talking or arguing with someone or something like that. Then out of nowhere, two people sent me $30 and I was yeah. thinking, like, I was thinking, yeah. like, what the hell just happened? And they, so and it was a, <laughs> yeah, it was not an argument. It was actually a very um, measured discussion. Like, okay. It wasn't like <laughs> f you, but it was. Um, I was like, what? it was the whole people were canceling Fangoria and saying don't go on birth movie staff because of a post on Rebeller. And I was making the argument that, A, there's a number of writers on Fango and Birth Movie Staff who represent a wide, uh, basically represent a wide number of groups overall that do tremendous work, um, both in their writing and socially. And that, like, there are a limited number of spaces for writers to get paid now. So don't, you know, like, I would said, like, getting mad at Fangoria for something on Rebeller is like my dog peeing on the floor and me yelling at my cat. Um, <laughs> and this person was like, you know, it was like, you can just go write somewhere else, you know? And I'm like, or there's, he said like, people have their own coffees or Patreons. Like, well, just send me $30. And he was like, he's like, well, what's your Patreon? And I will. I'm like, well, I don't have one. So, and he's like, And then like, out of well, nowhere, you're... I get $60. Yeah. So... <laughs> 
so basically, I'm going to keep arguing with people to get oh, Jerry do. paid at that please point. Please do. Um, but no, we are at um, over on Twitter. We're at Pod and Pendulum. Uh, I'm at Mike underscore Snoonian. We have a Facebook group. I really don't like Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, but hopefully we can. I tend to be very positive in our group over there, and it's there's not a lot on there yet. But if you go to Facebook and search for Pod and Pendulum. You'll find us there. Um, I'm also going to say, like, go and listen to shows like Spinsters of Horror, um, Good Morning Nancy, The Grave Girls Podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Kill by Kill, Scare Traducing, um, Horror Movie Survival Guide, um, The Justin Bean Radio Hour, Losers Club, um, Halloweenies. Like, those are the shows that are filling my timeline up that's how i'm passing i'm i know i'm missing oh gaily dreadful mm-hmm. i'm missing yeah, a number yeah. right now but those are a number of shows oh in horror virgin um i have a new show coming out it'll be out probably by the end of june called psycho analysis it's with uh lara undersell from the onion and the losers club and uh jen adams from the horror virgin and halloweenies um we are examining horror movies from the mental health landscape the first two shows are recorded and are being edited right now one of them is an overview of like horror movies and mental health in general the other is like anxiety through the lens of let's scare jessica to death um so that's basically where you'll find that's where you'll find us right now but that all sounds incredibly awesome um Far more awesome than the stuff that I'm doing, but still. Oh, if you, please! If you if, if listeners feel like they want to comment on uh, the things that I am doing, they can email mm-hmm. me at you do movies badly at gmail dot com. Um, I, I I am Nolan fixes teeth on Twitter. I don't have a show Twitter. Maybe I should, but I've been doing this for like four years and I haven't yet. So I'm set in my ways. Um, and then catch up on back episodes of I Do Movies Badly by going to battleshipretention.com and finding it in the podcast drop-down menu or idomoviesbadly.podbean.com. Um, before I let you guys go, now that you mentioned it, what, what did happen? Because I saw Phil Noble tweeting about the Fangoria stuff, and I just wasn't sure. Like, uh, or is, well, it, is it sort of not a, a, a public... Um, so there is there's discussion on whether or not... like. And look, like, I'm not a fan of Joe Bob Briggs. Um, uh, you know, you know I, I, like, he, his first Fangoria article is about what an asshole I am. Um, <laughs> and I, because I use, you know, to be honest, I use language. And when I was discussing him, I use language online that was, it was, it defeated my ultimate point of horror being a more exclusive place. Mm. Um, and I think I could have said what I said with the same impact by using language that maybe would not have been like as extreme mm. um, overall. Uh, and I, to be fair, I, I do see him making some real attempts to listen mm-hmm. um, and maybe maybe understand that where he was coming from, even if he wanted to be an ally, wasn't the most allied place. So there's this idea that like Rebeller came out with this article about why it was wrong for the person in Central Park to videotape the woman threatening to call the cops on him and how now we're all cops and Mm -hmm. you guys are all a bunch of the nanny state. 
And a lot of people, obviously you see like two days later, a man is killed. Uh, George Floyd is, ki- Lloyd is killed when a cop kneels in his neck for nine minutes. So you can see why that man recorded because the cops are being used as weapons against black and brown people. That, and I also feel like that situation has since escalated outside of the Joe Bob thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, like just today, that article on the Daily Beast went up and it was basically talking to 30 people with blanket history of Sinistate, uh completely brushing uh, Adam McDonough's, uh rape and all this stuff under the rug. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's 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 very telling, to be honest, mm-hmm. you know, and, and no, to be completely honest, I mean, I'll go on record and say that I don't think everyone at Fangoria or Birth Movies Death should have to pay for Sinistate. Right. Uh, their their lack of action. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't feel like they should have to pay for Rebeller being extremely alt-right leaning and very hateful, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think Phil Nobile and his crew, I, I think that, you know, while I don't agree with them 100 percent of the time, I, I do think that they have built such a very inclusive community and they've done their their best to try to make it do that. And they've listened to people. I don't think they should have to pay for Sin the State basically sweeping rape and all this stuff under the rug, right. you know, to cover their asses. And I think that article that came out today for the Daily Beast, I would recommend everyone reading it just to be clear. I mean, it's it's very blatant. It's very specific about what happened, and I think it's important. And I think it's important for that dialogue to happen in the horror community. Mm-hmm. But I, at the same time, I do not, I do not think that Bill Nobile, uh, Meredith Borders, all these people should have to pay, and the writers should have to pay for Sinistate and uh, Dallas Sonier basically being being enablers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just my take. I've been fortunate enough to get to know Phil and Meredith a little bit through the Telluride Horror Show, where I'm one of the programmers and one of the hosts. And the work they do, not only up front, but behind the scenes, uh, to make the horror community a better, safer, more inclusive place is incredible. Not only through Fangoria, but like Phil's work producing, uh, as one of the producers on Horror Noir, uh, the upcoming uh, queer-inclusive documentary that I believe he's one of the producers for. So I wouldn't, in matter of fact, like I went ahead and like, re, uh, not re-upped, but subscribed for the first time to Fangoria uh, during this. I felt it was important to support them. Uh, and I know like Birth Movies Death is a site that I've read for years. I think they've, they've raised like 30 grand mm. this week for Black Lives Matter through their yeah, fundraiser. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like what will happen is if you punish these sites for their sister sites, you're making the pool of talent and you're making the voices of people that promote inclusivity um, and diversity smaller. Mm-hmm. And you're allowing you're allowing these less tolerant voices more amplification in a larger space. There's a lot of shit going on out there, and mm-hmm. not just in terms of world events, but opinions being tossed back and forth as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, you know, if you, if listeners, if you care about this stuff, I mean, there's there's action you can take. First and foremost, like support art from you know from people of color watch do the right thing watch get out we talked about shutter watch a horror noir on shutter it's a fucking great documentary um one of the the downsides one of the many downsides is the pandemic i was super looking forward to um both antebellum and the candy well candy man is coming out next year right 
Uh, uh, Candy Bandit is coming out September of this year. Yeah, okay. So hopefully that's yeah. still something that comes out. I, I mean, mm-hmm. also, if you, you know, if you can't protest, if you're not comfortable with protesting, donate, donate to Black Lives Matter, donate to, you know, there's bail funds out there. I've donated to Brooklyn, to Minnesota, you know, to who are working to bail out these people who have been peacefully protesting and are being subjugated and arrested for it anyway there's a whole lot of stuff that that people can do out there um and you know you two guys thanks so much for sharing your opinions for coming on this podcast for talking um this has been a great time promote one thing really quick can we promote one i think i'm just remembering now so one of the things we're we're going to have our first premium slash paid episode it'll be two bucks okay it's going to be with ryan larson from um ghastly grinning and the uh, Keep Screaming podcast, and we're going to talk about the movie Cursed, which is a movie that Jerry hates. <laughs> it's a Wes Craven the, movie. The werewolf. Jerry movie. Hates yeah, West okay. <laughs> I love Wes Craven. Um, so it's so um, it's going to be like two bucks. All the proceeds are going to go to Black Lives Matter. It'll be out. Uh, I'm not sure when this will come out, but if you follow us over at Pod and Pendulum, we'll have pinned links to it. It should be out. I would imagine by like the fifth. Between the fifteenth and the twentieth of this month, um, all proceeds going going to that. And please make sure if you can support writers, podcasters, books, musicians, and people of color. It's another way to really support support the cause right now, and also expand your own empathetic worldview. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I mean, when, when that when that's up, or if you have a link for that, please, guys, email it to me. I'll, I'll put it on my Facebook page as well. Thank you. So, Sounds good. Absolutely. But um, yeah, thanks a lot for everyone for listening. Thanks, guys, for coming on. This was a great time. Uh, it's been a blast. Thank you so much. For yeah, having yeah, us. definitely. Yeah, no, my my absolute pleasure. Um, listeners, be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking about spring, and where hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.